It's not good that we rely solely on our emotions. But there are emotions involved when we worship God. There are emotions when we, when we feel His presence and, and when we feel that love. When we, as sinners, come to God and He accepts us as sons and daughters. There's a scripture in the Bible that said to them, who received him. To them that believed, he gave them the right to become sons and daughters of God. And so we as believers have that right, and we have become sons and daughters of God. And in Hebrews, it says that let us come boldly before the very throne of God let us come boldly. We, we don't have to come sheepishly. We don't have to come doubtfully. Or He says, come bold. let us come boldly before the very throne of God to receive grace and, and to receive mercy in our time of need. Let us come boldly. Our sin would, would cause us and make us think that we have to come I just picture in my mind the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And in the passion of the Christ, it shows her with her face down towards the the dirt. And Jesus is standing before her, you know, and and all of the townspeople are around her with their rocks in their hand, just kind of tossing them, just waiting to throw them at her because she's guilty. And she's just down so low. She knows she's guilty. She knows she's dirty and sinful. And she knows she's done wrong. And yet, here's Jesus. And and, and here's all the people that are ready to stone her. They're ready to cast their judgment upon her. and, And here she is. She's just so low before God. And And Jesus says, woman, where are your accusers. She says, Lord, there is none. Because Jesus had said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all knew then that they were just as guilty. They all knew right then that they were sinners as well, and not one of them was righteous. And the Bible says that. Not one of us is righteous. No, not one. And so one by one, they all dropped their stones. And they walked away because they are guilty just as much as she is. We have all sinned, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned. And that makes us guilty. And that makes us in need of a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ the Lord. And there is no sin that's too great that His love can't erase. Would you say that with me? There's no sin that's too great that His love can't erase. 
And we would say in our hearts, or we would hear people say, uh, I can't go to church. I'm, they don't want my kind there. A lot of people feel that way. I can't go to church. I, why would God want me as sinful as I am? And that's not only a recognition, it's an admittance, but it, it's almost a cancellation, if you will, of the opportunity or a cop-out even. But God is willing to receive those who would call upon him. The Bible says, all who call upon me will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All. Well, I can't, the Lord can't save me. I'm, I've been too bad. And sometimes people are proud in their sin. I've been so bad. I've been worse than you. And it's almost like a, uh, a battle of who's been worse. You ever, see, you ever see that? You ever encounter that? I'm sure you have. I've been worse than you. I've been so bad. And they'll go on, and, and it's almost like these war wounds, these scars. My scar's worse than yours. Right? I've been worse than you, but you know what? It's all sin to God. And the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but what? Yes, that all should come to repentance. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Friends, I believe... I just want to tell you something. Recently, I have been battling in prayer some things that have been of great concern to me. And they've been weighing on my heart and and the hearts of the elders and, and leaders of the church, not only our church, but the church, packed churches and churches in the area. And... It would seem that the church has been attacked, if you will, for lack of a better word. And I believe the Lord showed me something the other day in prayer. And that is this, that the enemy of your souls, Satan himself, has renewed his thrust to discourage pastors so that they will give up. Not only pastors, but in trying to discourage the pastors, they will steal from them. Well, how, how can the devil steal from the pastors? Well, the devil can steal in a number of different ways. And the enemy, the Bible says, is a thief and a liar. The Bible calls him the father of lies. The father of lies. And if the devil, Satan himself, can discourage the pastors, then he's got all the others in his grip. And so, yes, I have been 
battling with discouragement, as have the other pastors. And how, how does the enemy discourage us? He's very crafty. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our thoughts and concerns and worries. And you know what? He is a good card player. Satan is a good card player. Do you know where I'm coming from here? Satan knows the trump card to play, to get us to fall. And I believe the Lord showed me that the enemy has renewed his thrust, his determination to pluck out the leadership of the church. And so by doing, rendering it useless. And in his effort to discourage the pastors, be it individually, he is targeting certain areas. And so in an effort to expose his plans and to educate ourselves as believers on how to respond to the enemy. Now listen, I want to get something straight here. I don't like giving the enemy any more time than I need to. He's not worth my time. I don't like to focus on him. I don't like to give him any undue recognition. But I'll tell you another thing. If we don't know how our enemy works, if we don't know how he fights, we are defenseless against him. And so, in light of this and in response to this, I bring these things to you today as a warning. And I bring them to you today so that you may not fall and so that you may be aware. I bring these things to you today as a herald announces the coming of a bride and a groom. And a herald would, in, in the Bible, when uh, Jesus, or when God was, uh, when Jesus was born... Do you remember the angels in the fields while the uh, shepherds walked their flocks by night? And the angels were proclaiming this message to these shepherds. Hark the herald, angels sing. Listen to the giver of news. Hark the herald. I say that to you today. Listen to what God is saying. He wants to strip away from the pastors their leadership. He wants to strip away their main people, people that they rely on. So that we feel alone and overwhelmed. The enemy is a good thief. He knows what things are going to lead the leaders of the church away. He knows what things are going to cause them to stumble, and he knows what things 
to use to discourage the leadership. And if he is able to do that, then the pastors are left alone and overwhelmed. So one thing that he does is he tries to strip away the leaders from the pastor. The next thing that he will do, another thing, is he will affect our health. If the enemy can affect the health of the leadership of the church, then that leadership feels so tired and fatigued from fighting within their own body that they have no strength or will left to lead, to handle all of the weight of leading the church. He tries to take us out of the fight. If he can't get us one way, he's going to try another way, and he'll do the same with you. If he can't get us one way, he'll try affecting us physically so that we're battling with different things for a long period of time and one thing after another, and pretty soon your body is so tired of fighting for its own health that the mind can't grasp and and it becomes overwhelmed and tired and loses the will to fight because the fight is all here, physical. And if the enemy can keep the pastors down by doing these things, then he has removed him from the fight and has, listen now, and has access to the people. So the enemy will try to strip away the leaders that the pastors depend upon. Two, the enemy will try to attack the physical health of the pastors in order to render them useless and so they have no more will or strength to fight. Thirdly, they will bring upon them guilt, self-doubt, and self-condemnation, making them feel like all of the struggles and battles and problems within a church, which are normal, all of the weight of those things heap upon the pastor's shoulders. And the pastor begins to feel like all of these things are his fault or her fault or it's due to poor leadership or bad judgments. And thus, listen now, sapping the confidence of who that pastor is in Christ the Lord, if not their very calling. Do you understand? So the enemy is trying to take away the confidence of the pastor. Now, I don't want you thinking that this is all about me because this is not about me. This is about the church. This is about infiltration by the enemy into the very ranks of the church, if you will. The enemy doesn't like the church, especially a praying church, especially a church that's active about winning souls and discipling people for the kingdom of God. 
If the church is not doing anything, if the church is not effective in winning souls and discipling people and praying, then that the enemy has nothing to worry about. He'll leave them alone. But if the church is praying and working hard to disciple people, train up people to take on responsibility in the kingdom of God, that is a threat to the enemy, a direct threat. And he feels like he needs to up the ante, so to speak. And so he comes against the church. And he comes after the leadership. And so the enemy will try to sap the self-confidence of who the, the pastor is in Christ Jesus in order to make him feel guilty and like a failure so that he cannot lead the church properly. So one, the enemy takes out the leadership, those the pastor depends upon. Secondly, the health so that he has no strength to fight. Thirdly, self-doubt and condemnation, sapping the confidence of who they are in Christ Jesus. Fourth, and this is, very, this is something that's very obvious. Some of these other things are not so obvious. Unless you're looking for it, you won't see it. This one is obvious, and it's right in your face. Fourthly, attendance. In church, attempting to draw our people away from the church through various enticements. I'm too busy. I'm tired. Okay? It's really nice outside. (laughs) Okay? Let's face it. All right? We got other things that we want to do. It's nice. I want to hang outside. I want to sit under my tree. I want to hang around the pool and so on and so forth. I want to be together with my family. And so I can't be in church. We got to be together with family, friends. All of these things might be good, but they're not the priority over being together in the church of God. Do you understand that? And so the enemy, though it would seem like a good thing to meet together with family or to be relaxing or to be enjoying this and and other things, those things are all very good. And matter of fact, they're very important. But they have to take their priority under Christ and under his time, under his time. And so the enemy will right in the face of the pastor, and as well as you, friends. Look at the empty seats around you. Would you just look? Look around you. And I'm sure you've all seen them. It's like the elephant in the room. Everybody sees it, but nobody wants to say anything about it. We all see it. Where are my friends? Where are my brothers and sisters? The enemy will attempt to lead people away so that attendance is down and it's right in our faces to discourage us. Do you see? I don't know about you, but when I see a lot of empty seats on Sunday morning, it is discouraging to me. When, when only a handful of people show up on Wednesday nights, it's discouraging to me. 
Little do you know the, the very simple thing of your attendance, your smiling face, your handshake, your hug means the world to me. To me personally. I cherish those things. I need them, in fact. And so the enemy will try to discourage the pastors and leadership as well as all of the church when the attendance is low. It's right in your face. You can't hide it. There's no way to get away from it. And so it's right there all the time. Not only that, but it shows up in the lack of funds available for the church. All right? So when people are not here... Are they still tithing? In most cases, no, they're not. And so when 10 or 12, 20 people don't show up on church Sunday mornings, how do you think that affects the finances of the church? Let's be honest. That hurts. When, when that happens month after month and week after week, how do you think that affects the finances of the church, friends? It hurts. Absolutely it hurts. Because the budget don't change. We need what we need. The income changes. Do you see? Most of the time, we don't think about those things. We just think of church as, well, we're preaching the Word of God and we've done it right. Okay? But there's so many other things that are involved in keeping a church running effectively. And so these things, the, the, the attendance being down and the funds not coming in and... Uh, physical ailments and discouragement and and guilt and, and all of these things are right in the pastor's face and are a direct, direct attempt to discourage them. Number five. Number five. Relationships. Relationships, as you know, are difficult and they take a lot of effort. Anybody married out there? Okay? Anybody been married before? Okay. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> All right? The effort that it takes. And keeping relationships healthy. Let's talk about family for a moment. You got your hard hats on? You got your shields up? Family. My wife says I better tread lightly. (laughs) Family is a difficult one. I'm sure that you've all seen what has been going on with my family. It's not pleasant. I don't mean my kids and my wife. It's difficult for me. It's really difficult for me. And the enemy will use what should be and can be a support system if he takes them away, then the pastor feels like he has no support. Do you understand? And I have felt this way when most of my family is not here anymore. 
And I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way. It happened. And it hurts me. And I, I don't understand it. I, I can't explain it, but it's there. And it's always there. And when the enemy messes with the relationships that we hold dear, it affects our ability to see clearly. It creates confusion and hesitance in us spiritually. Now, these are people from which we draw strength and support from. And the enemy is trying to alienate us from those people so that we don't have that undergirding of support anymore. Where once we relied upon them. And they eliminate, the enemy wants to eliminate our foundational areas of support and encouragement. And it's not just me, friends. I see it all over. Now, we all know that these things that we've talked about today are, in some senses, a normal occurrence within ministry of the church. All right? These things are, in some senses, are a normal occurrence to some degree. But the Lord has shown me that there is a renewed commitment on the part of the enemy to attack in these five areas. But I believe there is hope for us. There is hope for us in Christ the Lord. There is hope in the name of Jesus Christ. There is hope in the blood of the Lamb. The Bible says they overcame by what three things? The blood, word, testimony. They overcame by the blood and the word and the word of their testimony. The blood of Jesus, the word of God, and their testimony, friends. Amen? It is important for us. I could be silent on these things and just hope and pray that things get better. But if I know the plans of the enemy and I don't become, in a sense, a watchman on the wall or a herald that is telling everyone what's coming up or what's happening, I would be an infidel. Do you understand what I'm saying? I would be unfaithful to the call of God on my life and my call to be a pastor, your pastor. And so today... I make you aware of what the enemy is trying to do. So I counsel you and challenge you, if not warn you, to be aware of what the enemy is doing. Not only in the lives of the leadership of the church, but in your life. Because the enemy will try to use you as well. The enemy will try to use you I believe that it is imperative of utmost importance that we pray specifically in these areas. 
For we know that, as the Bible says, no weapon that's fashioned against us will stand. These are the promises of God. No weapon that's fashioned against us will stand. We know that greater is he that is in us than what? Than he that is in the world. Who is us? Who is in us? Jesus Christ. Greater is Christ in us than who's in the world? The enemy. Greater is Christ in us than the enemy in the world. If God is for us, and you know he is, then tell me, friends, tell me, family and church, who can be against us? No one, no one, nowhere, nothing. He is in control. Hallelujah. Friends, there is power in the blood of Jesus. There is power in his name. Would you turn to Ephesians chapter 6 for me? With me, I should say. Verse, so let's start with verse 10. Now this is talking about... Yeah, there's almost a military feel when we talk about fighting against an enemy, isn't there? It kind of you know, brings these thoughts and um, things of, of a military sense when you're fighting, you know. And so one of the things that a soldier would use is armor, protection of some sort, all right? So he's got a defensive part, and he's got an offensive part. Starting in verse 10 of chapter 6 of Ephesians, says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil is always scheming, friends, always. And he's always looking for a way to trip up those who are trying to follow Christ. And he's always looking for a way to infiltrate the church. And it says in verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Well, what does that mean? Our struggle is not against people. It's not against people. It's the enemy working through people. So we've got to understand, we can't get mad at the person right? Though it's hard sometimes because of they say or they do. It's hard not to be mad at that person, but it's the enemy that's working through that person. Through us sometimes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against what? The rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So this is talking about nothing you can see. 
You can't see this stuff. But just as an iceberg has lots going on underneath the surface of the water, so in our spiritual lives, there's lots going on that we can't see. And unless we are made aware, unless we are warned, unless we are taught and educated on what to look for and how to fight it, we are defenseless against it. Well, I don't like talking about the devil in church. Well, neither do I. He doesn't deserve my time. He doesn't deserve your time. But we must be diligent. We must know how the enemy schemes, how he plans, and how, what his focus is and what he wants to do. His goal is to take you out, to take you out of the fight. So we wrestle not then against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not with people, but against powers, rulers, spiritual forces of darkness in the evil, in the heavenly realms. In verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God. Full armor, friends. Why? So that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. You're still going to be standing if you put on the full armor of God and put it to use. Verse 14, stand firm then. Brace yourself. If you've ever watched boxing or UFC or some sort of thing like that, some sort of contact um, wrestling or, or something like that, the stance is always very, very important. That is the fir- one of the first foundational things that you will learn in fighting is the stance. Because with the stance, you will be able to absorb the blows that come at you. And with the stance, you will be able to take an offensive against your enemy. If you don't have a stance, if you're off balance, then the slightest hit from the enemy will knock you over. And once you're off your feet, you're free for the taking. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so he's listing things that put a visual aid in our heads, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness. Our feet fitted with the readiness and the preparation of the gospel. 
take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And in verse 18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray in the Spirit. Friends, there's a different kind of praying. There's a different kind of praying than praying over your meal. Let's face it, sometimes those are the only prayers that we do, unfortunately. Sometimes those are the only prayers our children ever hear us pray. God forbid. Pray in the Spirit. What does that mean? Praying in the Spirit, that means, friends, you are down on your knees. There is a groaning that is inside of you. You are petitioning the very throne of God. You are serious about what you're praying about. And some of you have a prayer language. You speak in tongues, and when you pray, you bring that out, and you use it like a weapon. Some people balk at that. What is the purpose in all that garbage? What, that is, I use it every single day. There's not a day that goes by that I don't use that. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Listen, with this in mind, with what in mind? With all of these parts of your armor and added to that with prayer, be alert. Be alert. Be ready. Be watching. Be prepared. And keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Friends, the enemy is no slouch. He knows what he's doing, but we don't fear. We're, we don't fear. Sometimes a warning like this or a, a topic like this can bring fear to us. But we don't fear. We don't fear because God is on our side. And as the Bible says, we go from victory to victory. Victory is what God has in store for his people. These five things... The enemy has renewed his commitment to infiltrating the church and for taking out pastors specifically and those they depend on. First of all, let's recap. In an effort to discourage pastors and the leadership of the church, one, he will take out the leaders and those they depend upon. Two, he will affect the health of the leaders. Three, self-doubt and self-condemnation make the leaders doubt even their own calling and ability. Four, attendance in church is right in their face to discourage them and you. And five, close relationships and family. That's a handful right there. Five things the enemy is targeting that we need to be aware of, that we need to be pre prepared for, and we need to be alert for. Let's, let's, would you stand with me today? Let's close in prayer.
Father, we pray for the church. Lord, in your word, it said to keep on praying for all of the saints, for God's people. God, we pray for the strength and leadership of the churches. Not only this church, but the other churches in this area as well. And across this great world of ours. We pray that, God, you would help the saints, the people of God, to live and to walk in obedience to you. We pray that they would speak words of truth, that they would speak words of love, that they would be self-controlled in a world that is out of control. We pray that we would never, ever, ever lose the joy of our salvation. No matter what we're doing, no matter what is going on, that we would always keep the joy of our salvation, the joy of knowing you, O God. And Satan, we come against you right now. In the name of Jesus, we stand against you. We cast you out in Jesus' name. We're not going to allow you access here in the name of Jesus. We cast you out in Jesus' name. You're nothing. You're not welcome here. We don't want you here. We devote ourselves to you, O God, and to each other. And if, God, we have been used by the enemy to cause pain in some of these areas, may we reconcile ourselves to each other and to you, O God. Bring peace, bring comfort, bring joy, and bring growth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.